Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 4. The book of Matthew and chapter number 4. We'll be reading verses 1 through 11. Matthew 4, 1 through 11. As you're turning there, Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. In verse number five, Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Verse 8, Again the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them. And saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Verse 11, Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to hear Brother Clint this morning. I pray that you would fill him with your spirit, that everything that is preached this morning would be of your word, of your spirit, and that you would bless the preaching and the teaching this morning, and that you would work your perfect will in it, Lord. We thank you for this opportunity, and in your name we pray, amen. It is a blessing to be here. Uh, it's a blessing to be able to be in a home church and open the word of God and, and see what we can um, get out of uh, this today. So, this, you know, it was so funny. Uh, I feel like God gives us the desires of our hearts sometimes, even when we don't ask for it, you know. Uh, I was thinking, I've been kind of thinking about uh, this message, and, and I'm like, man, I really, I need to put that down. And I started taking notes about a week ago, and then preacher got sick uh, and called me the other day, and he's like, hey, can you preach? And I was like, absolutely. But I wasn't quite done with my message yet. So I spent most of the day yesterday downstairs trying to get all this together, um, but uh, I'm thankful for this opportunity. So as we get started, um, obviously, uh, based off the passage that we read, Matthew chapter 4, 1 through 11, uh, we're going to talk about temptation today, okay? But I want us to think of it in a specific direction, okay? Because we, I mean, you can think about this in, in multiple, multiple ways, but I want us to think about uh, uh, this in a certain direction. Um, and before we get started, I want you to think about something real quick. When we think of how we identify as Christians, sometimes people can't tell who we are outside these doors, right? Now, when you think of a Muslim, sometimes they'll have, I don't know what, what, what it's called, but they'll have the thing on their head or the ladies will be covered up. And you could identify them as a Muslim, right, based off of what they're wearing. Sometimes even... Um, Jews, they'll have the, the curly things on, on their sideburns, or they'll have the thing on top of their head. They can be identified as a Jew. Hindus, they'll have, sometimes they'll have the dot 
right there between their eyes. Uh, Pentecostals, the ladies wear long, long skirts and they'll have their hair real, real long. They can be identified based off of how they look. But us as Bible-believing Christians, sometimes we can't be identified. Sometimes our standards are, are different. Obviously, we should hold to a high standard. But, but, sometimes we are not recognizable as Bible-believing Christians based off of our appearance. So, with that being said, we have to conduct ourselves differently. We have to treat the world differently. I don't know about you, I've, I've traveled a lot. And northern Kentucky is probably one of the most unfriendly places that I've ever traveled to. <laughs> I'm, like you, you go in the grocery store and like somebody will bump into your cart and they'll just look at you like it was your fault. You know what I mean? Like, my bad, sorry. But as Christians, we should conduct ourselves accordingly. So where, where is that? Well, in the grocery store. At home, the way that we deal with our families. When we're amongst other Christians, as Bible-believing Christians, we sure do bicker a lot about each other. We complain. We don't, sometimes we don't like what other people do. Oh, I can't believe he did that. I can't believe she did that. And you know what? I'm just as guilty as you are. But we have to be different. And what, what happens is, is we're faced with a decision, every time, every time something happens, like say, say we're, um, I don't know, think of a time in which you would be frustrated. Say the grocery store. We'll use that as an example. And maybe something's not going your way or something's taking too long and you say a snide remark to somebody. That's not a good representation of Christ. So when, when that happens, we made the decision to say and to act that way. We are presented with a fleshly decision. And there's two, there's two ways that that could go. Every time that we make a decision that makes Christ look bad or that makes us embarrassed to say, oh, I'm a Christian, and I've done it, and I know that you've done it, and we're probably going to continue to do it, and the goal is to stop doing it, but we're, I mean, it is what it is. We just have to continue to work on it to get better, Right? So, with that being said, there's two decisions that we could make. We could flesh it, or we could faith it, right? We have the decision, when we're, when we're presented with this temptation, to either please God, or disobey God. That's the decision that we have here. So what we're going to do, we're going to look, look into how Jesus dealt with these temptations, because... If we're going to look at anybody for making the right decision, it's going to be Jesus, right? I know when I think of decisions sometimes and I'm like, man, I need a big, I got to make a big decision here. You know what I'll do from an earthly perspective? I'll think about, man, how would preacher deal with that? Because he's, he's probably one of the most solid, consistent person that I've ever met of anybody is, is my preacher. And when I, when I think of a big decision, I'm like, well, how, like, how would preacher deal with this? So I step back and I think, well, how would he deal with it? But the thing is, is preacher's just a man. I mean, he's a godly man, but he's not perfect, just like we're not perfect. So if we want to get a perfect example of how to handle temptations and how to handle life, we've got to look 
at Christ. So, as we look at this, um, I want you to think about this. The account of Jesus' temptation record in Matthew 4, 1-11, through 11, was not only God's way of showing us that Jesus was the perfect man, but it also exposed the tactics of the devil and reveals to us how he can be overcome when we're tempted. Now, this is the first introduction of Satan in the Gospels. So, but the thing is, is this, the Satan that we're introduced to here in Matthew chapter 4 is also the same uh, tempter that was in Genesis chapter 3. He is also the fallen angel. He is also the prince of the power of the air. He is also the God of this world who come to deceive us. In the form of a serpent, he deceived Adam and Eve. Here, Satan could not disguise himself, nor could he deceive Jesus, but he came bold and direct with the attack that he had for Jesus. The temptation in the garden, which I think this is fascinating, parallels the temptation um, of Jesus's. But while Adam was tempted in this beautiful garden, and he failed... The last Adam, Jesus Christ, was tempted in the dangerous wilderness and won the victory. So, I want to, let's think about the meaning of temptation for just a second. So the dictionary defines temptation as an urge or a desire to do something, especially something that you shouldn't. Uh, I mean, I could agree with that. Let's think about the Bible. The Bible word for temptation primarily speaks of a trial in which man has a free choice of being faithful to God or being unfaithful to God. So when we are tempted, we have that choice to make. We can either be faithful to God or we can be unfaithful to God. So what I want to look at here is the first temptation. Now I found, I love studying the Bible, and I found some really cool things in here. Um, I, didn't, I didn't submit any notes for you guys to follow along with, but there are a few things that might be interesting to you that you might want to note uh, inside your Bible or even take notes somewhere else about what we're going to look at this morning. So the first temptation, so note, notice how Satan picks up immediately on the fact that Jesus was hungry because he hadn't eaten for 40 days. I think about that, how he knew the weakness of Jesus. So if you, if you think for a second that Satan doesn't know your weaknesses, you are fooled. Satan knows our weaknesses. He knows where we fall short, and he knows exactly where to attack us. So it's important that we cling to the promises of God and know um, that Satan can be defeated. But I want, I want you to see this. So, um, there's no reason for us to doubt that Jesus literally didn't fast, or he did fast for 40 days and 40 nights. And I, what I find about this is the number 40 is so important in the Bible because actually the number 40 um, uh, kind of talks about periods of hardship or difficulty or suffering. That's a good study. Look at, look at the number 40 throughout the Bible if you want a good study. It's actually in the Bible 146 times. And, and everywhere you see 40, you, you talked about it this morning, Bob, in your message, 40, about uh, in Job, uh, chapter 40 is when uh, God was introduced. And I thought there was 40 chapters of hardship. And I, I wrote that down and I thought that was, that was I don't know, just kind of tied everything in this morning. 
But when Satan said, if you are the Son of God, he was not questioning Jesus' deity to know exactly who Jesus was. He was saying, since you are the Son of God, why starve yourself to death? Come on, just, just make some stones into bread. It's fine. It's not a big deal. Satan challenged Jesus to prove that he is the Son of God through a miraculous work. He wanted Jesus to use his divine powers to make something to eat. After all, Jesus had, I mean, he just finished up fasting. He was finished with his fasting. So, um, I mean, what's, what's the big deal? It's not like Jesus didn't have the power to do it, right? I mean, he fed four or 5,000 people. I mean, he multiplied food. So, I mean, he, could, he absolutely could have. So, why, why didn't Jesus do that? I mean, it wasn't necessarily a sin for him to use his powers to, to turn the, the rocks into, into bread. He could have done that. Jesus was hungry, and there was definitely nothing wrong with hunger, especially um, in this spiritual time of fasting. So why, why is this a temptation? Because hunger represents human wants. Plain and simple, Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights in order to focus on the spiritual and away from the physical comforts of life. Then Satan telling him to use his divine powers to meet his own needs. Let's look what Jesus, how he responds here. He responds in Matthew chapter 4 verse 1, and Jesus led up, uh, let's see, where was that? No, it's in verse, it's in verse 4. It says, and it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, I find this interesting because turn with me to Deuteronomy um, chapter 8, verse 3. We're gonna, if you want to maybe make a mark in Deuteronomy, we're going to be there a little bit on and off. Chapter 8, verse 3. So I'll read this again. Jesus told Satan that he quoted Scripture. He said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You say, Where, where is this Scripture? In Deuteronomy 8, 3. So it says, um, And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and feed thee with manna which thou knowest neither. Neither did thy fathers know that he might uh, make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by the word of God that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. So what Jesus is doing is he's quoting Scripture from Deuteronomy. Now, this is, this is very important because we see Jesus was not just quoting his favorite Scripture. Deuteronomy 8 talks about the Israelites wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. After plundering the Egyptians of their gold and silver, God led the Israelites into the wilderness to teach them obedience and dependence on God. So there's a parallel here from Matthew chapter 4 to Deuteronomy chapter 8. And Jesus is quoting these verses. So it's not about whether Jesus could turn every, this bread in, or these rocks into bread. It was about obedience and, and depending on God the Father and not taking it into his own control and doing it himself. God wanted the Israelites to know that God is all they had 
and all they needed. Isn't God all, all we need? Sometimes we struggle and life is hard, but God is all we need. You say, I'm broke. I don't have any money. Uh, my family left me. God is all we need. I promise you, if you live for God and you do what His desire is for your life, He's going to meet your needs. There's no doubt about it. The main point is that God would provide their food to the Israelites, and they, all they needed to do was to obey them. So when Jesus refused, listen, when Jesus refused to give in to Satan's temptation, it isn't that he didn't want to eat. Because he was more than happy to eat when the angels come and, and brought him uh, food uh, when his time of testing was over. It's not that he wasn't hungry, but it, it was a matter of refusing supernatural help. Rather, it was a matter of obedience to the Father and submitting to His will in all things at all times. So it was basically Jesus not wanting to take control of the situation. How often do we do that? And letting God take control of the situation. So it, it, we think about that in terms of ourselves, in terms of temptation. We have to be patient. We have to wait on the Lord. Jesus could have absolutely done that. Just like we, we absolutely have the ability to take things into our own hands. But oftentimes when we do, it doesn't turn out the way that it should have. So we must wait and we must be patient and we must wait on the Lord to do what He does and it will work out like it's supposed to. So let's look at the second temptation. The second temptation strikes at the very heart of Jesus' previous victory. Jesus has overcome the first temptation by obeying God, even if it meant suffering, um, hunger, and weakness. Now, he was hungry, but I don't think that he was spiritually weak. You think about being alone. If I'm alone with God for a day, well, I feel like I could conquer the world. He was alone with God for 40 days. Even though he was fasting, he didn't have any, any food uh, in his body, but he was with God personally for 40 days. I don't think he was weak spiritually. I think that he was weak physically. And I really believe that this is one of the main reasons that Jesus has the power and the ability to defeat Satan at this very, this very time of temptation. So the second, uh, see, Jesus was overcome by the first or overcome the first temptation by obeying God. So Satan took Jesus into the holy city. This is the next one. He took him into the holy city and had him stand at the highest point of the temple. So, verse 5, The devil taketh him up into the holy city and sitteth him on the pinnacle of the temple. The highest point. What exactly was the temptation here? It was for Jesus to create a crisis. Because what did he do? He told him to jump off. He said, jump off of here. He said, God, God promises you that the angels are going to come and they'll just, they'll just take you up. And he said, your, your feet won't even hit the stones. So what, what de the devil was trying to convince Jesus to do is to create chaos so that God will show up and do something miraculous. He's trying to tempt God. Oh, don't do that. Don't tempt God. So, <clears throat> it was, this was for uh, Jesus to create a crisis and then force or manipulate God to rescue him. Satan was prompting Jesus to do something spectacular 
to demonstrate that He is indeed the Son of God. We don't need Jesus to do that. He's already done that. On the cross at Calvary, He doesn't need to demonstrate anything else to us. The pinnacle is the highest point of the temple, and it arose 500 feet above the Kidron Valley. A leap from there and the appearance of the uh, promised protection of the angels would be a spectacular event. Imagine that. Jesus is up there, and there's people all around. And he jumps off, and these angels come, and they get him. I mean, it would, it would be an event, wouldn't it, for everybody to see? Satan appealed to the desire within man to sense approval from God and have that approval publicly displayed. Satan was saying to Jesus, you are God's son and he loves you. So if you jump down from here, he'll send his angels and rescue you. Isn't that exactly what the Bible says? Notice how Satan himself uses scripture to make the appeal. We have to be careful. Because, turn with me to Psalm um, 91. Psalm 91, we're going to look at, uh, let's see, 11 and 12. It says, For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in thy hands, uh, lest thou dash thy feet against the stone. So notice how Satan himself, he uses scripture here to make the appeal to Jesus to try to tempt God. But the thing is, is Satan leaves out a few key words as he's tempting Jesus in all your ways, thus making the text say what in truth is never promised. So he's manipulating Scripture to try to get Jesus to um, fall to this temptation. True to his nature, because we know that Satan is a liar and a deceiver, Satan twisted the Word of God in an attempt to make Jesus test God with Scripture strictly forbids. So let's look at Jesus' response to the second temptation. Jesus responds by quoting Scripture also. But what I find uh, fascinating, turn with me to Deuteronomy uh, 6.16. Don't you guys love how, like, the, the Bible, I mean, there's like Jesus is quoting scripture and it, and it and it it literally parallels each other. I mean, you like I, I think that it's so I, that's, I got so much out of this study and maybe this message was just for me to study. I don't know, but I really enjoyed uh, studying and, and seeing this. So Jesus quoted Deuteronomy six sixteen. Look what that says: "Ye shall not tempt the Lord your God as ye tempted uh, him in Mesa or Messiah or however you would say that." What did he say to the devil in Matthew 4, 7? It is written, thou shalt not tempt thy God. So Jesus is using Scripture to uh, defeat the devil in this temptation. But what, what is important, we must know Scripture. Amen. Because if, if Jesus didn't know what it said here, maybe he, I, Jesus wouldn't have fallen, but I'll tell you what, we, we could fall. If we don't know Scripture and somebody's trying to deceive us with Scripture, we can absolutely fall into that. 
We have different um, Bible translations that are out there. And we have different uh, preachers that are out there trying to uh, manipulate the Scripture to get us to follow their agenda. But I'm going to tell you what, we have to know what our Bible says so we don't succumb to that temptation and, and follow false teachings. So Jesus' response to the second temptation was uh, basically the same as the first. He was referring to Scripture. So let's look at the, the third temptation that the devil um, tries to entice Jesus with. So now, he tried temptation one and he tried temptation two and it didn't work. So now the devil's pulling out all the stops. He's like, okay, come up here with me. And, and what I find fascinating in, in, in this study, I, I found that the Bible says that where he was in the second temptation was nearly the highest point of the area around. Okay, There was no higher mountain, no higher point. So it says that um, the devil showed him all of the kingdoms. The idea maybe is that there was... Jesus had a vision. The devil gave Jesus a vision to be able to see uh, all these kingdoms and all this. But there again, Jesus answered, all these things I will give to thee, or the devil said, all these things I will give to thee if thou will fall down and worship me. What, what's, the third temptation very much sounds like a desperate move in the part of the devil. He realized he wasn't winning, so he thought um, this time that he would give uh, his best shot. Satan then took Jesus and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. The third temptation, the devil uh, offered Jesus a shortcut to his kingdom. See, Jesus knew, without a shadow of a doubt, he knew what, why he came to this earth. He knew that he was going to have to suffer. He knew that he was going to have to die for our sins. And what the devil is, look, he says Jesus knew that he would have to suffer and die before he entered into glory. And the devil is trying to give him a shortcut. He's saying, if you follow me and if you bow down to me, you don't have to go through that. You don't have to go through that suffering. You don't have to go through all this turmoil. You can just have all the kingdoms. Like the devil had that ability to give him anyway. He didn't, he didn't have the power to do that. But he's trying to tempt Jesus into, into falling down and worshiping him. So, let's see, the third temptation, like I said, the devil offers Jesus a shortcut to his kingdom. Um, if he bowed down and worshipped Satan just once, he could enjoy all the glories without enduring suffering. And that was what he was trying to convince Jesus. Satan was saying, look, if you come as king uh, to inherit the nations... Uh, I'll give them to you in exchange for your worship. And you don't have to suffer. You don't have to uh, do all these things. I'll make you king right now. It's crazy. This is a revealing insight to Satan's heart. All he wants is worship and recognition. That's all he cares about. You see, when, when we're tempted, when the devil uh, gives us these temptations, you know, he doesn't want us to, to follow and to um, worship the devil, you know, he wants to break our fellowship with God is what he wants to do. And he wants us to, to fall short to these temptations that we are presented with so we break that fellowship with God. So Jesus' um, response to this third temptation, he says, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written that thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and Him only. Amen to that. I feel like we have too many gods of this world. We worship 
And I'm, I'm guilty too. I mean, we, we, we don't spend the time that we should reading our Bible. Whatever that is, we're, we're worshiping something else that has become an idol. I know, I know, you can ask my wife, I spend too much time on my phone. Okay? Uh, that could become an idol and we could, we could worship that. There's so many things. There's so many things that we could put in place that, that we uh, worship that, that we shouldn't. But if we would make the decision... Um, to follow God or to um, not would make the difference in, in uh, the way that we live our lives. So, let's see. So again, Jesus has used the Word of God and commanded the devil to leave. Now, the enemy left and uh, Jesus defeated the challenger and the angels came and ministered to him. And to worship God and God alone is the cardinal truth of Scripture. For the redeemed believer, the thought of bowing down and worshiping the prince of darkness should never come across our minds. Jesus would never, ever worship Satan. And we could, he, could never, he would never take the kingdom uh, without it being in God's timing. And that's something that we need to consider is God's timing. So often... We try to get ahead of God's plan. And I'll tell you what, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm guilty of so much of this. But if we wait on the Lord and His timing, it will work out exactly uh, as the Lord plans it. So how do we overcome temptation? So we're going to go through a couple things quickly. How do we overcome temptation? We have to be watchful and prayerful. We have to be watchful and prayerful. Notice what Matthew says. Turn to Matthew 26, 41. Twenty six forty one. It says, Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit um, indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So we must be watchful and we must be prayerful. In order to overcome temptations first, we must be able to see um, from where they are coming from. And most of the time, it's lies and, and deception. You know, like, Jesus uh, triumphed over Satan because he recognized his mode of attack. Primarily, Satan is a liar and a deceiver. And for those, um, uh, those have been brought to light at the cross. Deception is his only tool. Everything else was defeated at the cross at Calvary when Jesus died for us. That's the only tool that he has is deception. So when Jesus knows, or uh, the devil knows what, what our, our weak points are, he knows where we uh, fall short, and he, he's going to lie, and, and he's going to deceive us to make us think that what we're doing is okay. He's going to keep us from living, a, 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 a attempt to keep us from living a close relationship with the Lord. That is not what God desires for us. His, his desire is for us to stay in close communion um, with Him and rely on Him uh, and not be deceived by the devil. So uh, the second thing, let's see, don't test God. Trust Him completely and obey Him fully. I don't think, I know without a shadow of a doubt, we cannot play with sin. We can't play with sin. You say, well, it's just a little bit. No, 
It's not just a little bit. We cannot play with it because, okay, you think, you think back to Mark chapter 5, and I've preached this message before about the maniac of Gadara. It said that he was filled full of 2,000 demons, right? Well, my perspective on that is that didn't happen overnight. Those demons didn't just come 2,000 at a time. I really think that it happened one at a time. I feel like that one uh, came into him and, and he, he didn't deal with it, and another came into him and he didn't deal with it. And next thing you know, he's completely controlled by the devil, by these demons. And we must be careful. We, we are saved people. Most of us, I hope all of us are. So the devil cannot come inside of us, but he sure can tempt us. And we sure can sin. And we sure can break fellowship with the Lord. And that is not... Uh, if we're going to be led of the Spirit, and we're going to follow the Lord, and we're going to do what's right, we have to be in close communion with the Lord to be able to do that. The devil knows what he's doing, but we have to, don't test God by allowing sin to be in our lives and think that it's okay. So we must know the Scripture. Just the third temptation that that we saw here, Satan, he... He manipulated Scripture. He left out a few things and then questioned, well, doesn't, doesn't the Bible say this? Kind of smart alecky, right? We, we have to know Scripture. It's so important for us to know these verses that, that we're memorizing. Preacher was talking about memorizing verses the other day. Um, it's important to know. I've talked to um, our kids before. Like if they're struggling, like one of my, most, one of my favorite verses is... Uh, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Because that verse, that, that gives me strength. I know that if I'm struggling, that it's not of my strength, it's of God's strength. And we have to use, those are our ammo in defeating the devil and, and knowing, knowing Scripture so we cannot be deceived. We must submit to God and resist the devil. What does submitting to God look like? Dying to self. It's dying to self. Um, my, most of you know my testimony. Most of you know where I come from and my story and all that. And I'll tell you what, it's hard to come from where I come from with drugs and alcohol and not have baggage. You know what I mean? Like you, you, you drag that stuff along with you. Um, you know... We are, we are given the power to defeat it, but I feel like that it's, it's a war every single day. Every single day. We have a choice. We can submit to God, or we could give in to those temptations and let the devil have the victory. And I'm, I'm not perfect in this area. I know I, I need you to pray for me. Because, you know, there's times where I don't have victory uh, certain days. But And I know that you're the same because we're all human and we all have a little bit of baggage. But the thing is, is we must submit those hardships. We must submit that baggage. We've got to submit it to God. We have to let Him have it because there's no, way, there's no way that we have the power to overcome these things on our own. And if we give in and we, we're weak, the devil, if there's a weak spot, the devil's going to come in and he's going to get us. And he's going to cause us to fall and, and to break our fellowship with the Lord. So, with all this being said, so we, we've looked at um, Jesus being tempted, right? There's, there's three areas, and I find it fascinating. Um, 
Let's see. Let me find on my notes here. I wanted to make sure and say this. Hmm. You know, it's funny. This is a side note. This morning I was printing out my notes, and I was four pages in, and the, plate, the pages just went blank, and there was like this big smur of ink. And I always heard that when you preach against the devil that he does crazy things, and I'm like, well, there it is, you know. And now, this very important thing that I wanted to say at the very end, I don't know where it's at. <laughs> well, anyway. Um, so, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end with this. We see that Jesus was tempted three different times. The first time that he was tempted, it was about uh, fleshly lusts because it was about his hunger, right? The second time that he was tempted, it was about pride. It was about showing, showing off who he was and, and expecting God to do something when he caused his own chaos. And the third thing that, uh, that we find, this is what I had written down, and the third thing that we find is, I don't know, I have to get back to you on that. But it's another lust that we, that or another trial, another temptation that we face that Jesus overcome. And if you take all three of those things, it equals every temptation that we could ever face. And if you notice what happens, Jesus refers to Scripture every single time there's a temptation. It's about being close to God. It's about knowing what the Bible says. So... Think on this thought for just a second. When, when, if I had a cup of coffee, we'll say, we'll just use this for an example. I have a bottle of water. If I had this lid open, and somebody pushes me, that came out because it's what this bottle was full of. Right? If I had coffee in here, and I was nudged by life, nudged by my trials, nudged by my temptations. Whatever's in this is going to come out. So, with that being said, your anger, your frustration that comes out of you when life takes a toll on you when you're in public, when you're with your family, when you're at church, if you have bitter things to say, if all you want to do is gossip, it's because that's what you're full of. Jesus was completely 100% full of the Spirit because He is the Spirit. He is Jesus. He is God. So He couldn't be full of anything else other than the Spirit. So everything that He did, every outpouring that He had was was Spirit-filled. And if you and I are going to, outside of these doors, if we're going to, we may not have specific identifications that say that we're a Christian. But what we can do is we can conduct ourselves as Christians. We can act as Christians. We, when we're nudged, when, when there's those temptations, when we're around other people and people see us, and, and there's an opportunity for us to be mean to somebody or be nice, be nice. When there's an opportunity for us to uh, let God's goodness uh, come out of us, let it come out. Because it's about what we're full of. When we face these temptations of life, we have to know the Bible. We have to be feared with the Spirit. That way, when we get outside of these doors, we can be identified 
as Christians. So, I thank you guys for this uh, opportunity. So, um, you know, new messages for me, uh, oftentimes I got to read a lot. So, you know, it is what it is. But I just pray that the Lord uh, spoke to you this morning. Um, Let's go ahead and and, uh, bow our heads and go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for today. I thank you for this opportunity that you've given me uh, to be able to open your word and and preach it. Um, God, I do ask uh, that you would be with us, help us, guide us, Lord. I know with a room this size of people, there's temptations in here and there's struggles in here that people need help with. And God, I pray that you would help these people right now. I know, I know I'm struggling with, with certain things. And Lord, I pray that when we face these, these trials and we face these temptations, that we, that we don't give in. That we use the power that you've given us, Lord, to be able to overcome these things and to be able to win the victory and that you could be honored and glorified in our lives so we can stay true to you and be um, in the Spirit of God. And God, I pray that you would just be with us now. I pray, Lord, that um, if we have some things to deal with, I pray that we could come forward and I pray that we could deal with those things and make commitments, Lord, and and just draw closer to you um, from what we have heard today. Lord, I thank you and I love you so much. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.